Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Verstappen wins in Saudi Arabia as the battle between Ferrari and Red Bull hots up. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Welcome, and we're going to review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Today, I'm joined in the Everything F1 team by Sponge. Hi, Sponge. How are you? Hello. All good. Thank you very much. What have you been up to recently? You haven't been on the podcast for ages, it seems. I know. It's been all work and no play. We've been very busy at work. And then last weekend, I'm currently sleep deprived from being at a wedding, which I believe you were as well over the weekend. So, yes, yeah, I all was. been good. Yeah, no work and all work and no play, as they say. So, yeah, there we go. Apart from the wedding, which was a bit of play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I was at a wedding as well, my brother's wedding. So I just want to wish him uh, and, and his wife a, a lovely future. Thank you very much for inviting me to your wedding. It was beautiful. Uh, and I look forward to watching you flourish as a couple uh, with your children uh, and have a, a long and happy life together. Um, Congratulations we've also, to Mr. and Mrs. Tiller. Mr., that's another Mr. and Mrs. Tiller. That's the third Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Tiller in my family. <laughs> <laughs> One of our regulars that pops up every single week or every now and again uh, is Coops. And he's here with us today to review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix too. So how are you, Coops? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm very good. Apart from being a bit croaky from the weekend and knackered, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Were you a bit sozzled? Uh, Did you have a few tennies? Pleasantly. Pleasantly, but not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) Anyway, we are the Everything F1 podcast. You can find us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, We're also on TikTok, and there's a bit of content going on there now, uh, thanks to a couple of the members of the team. Uh, So by all means, like and share and you know, click follow on all of our social platforms. You can also visit our website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, you're listening to us on this podcast now. We would absolutely love you forever if you could hit that bell, subscribe, follow button, whatever it is on your your, uh, podcast streaming service. uh, So you can follow us and get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as and when they drop. Now, we do have a special guest at the end of this, uh, at the end of this review. Uh, We spoke to... Ayrton Simmons from F3. I'm going to cut it onto the end of this podcast. So that's a good one and you'll enjoy it. So first up, it's the penalty points. This is where I ask questions just to kind of get us in the mood for the review of the Grand Prix um, to see how let's see how deeply they, my, my, my panel were watching and make, make sure they were paying lots of attention uh, to the full race. Um, so my first question, all you need to do if you want to answer the question, Sponge, I know you haven't done this yet, is just call your name out. Whoever calls the name out first gets to answer the question. Uh, I'm going to tot up the points towards the end of the year and whoever's got the most points, be it guests or be it a panellist, 
uh, will get a prize. Uh, guests, guests basically stop me having to put my hand in my pocket uh, for you guys on the panel. So you've got to beat the guests, but <laughs> it's going to help today because there isn't a guest, uh, isn't a guest with us uh, actually live. So you've got the advantage today. It's two one at the moment to Cara. Uh, Coops has got one, and guests have got none. So it's very early on in in the in the competition. So uh, it's all to play for. So first question: Sergio Perez scored his first pole position in qualifying. How many races did it take him? Coops. Coops. Oh, 263, I think it was. No, 215. 215. I knew it was in the 200s. Sponge. 215. <laughs> 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 oh, I should you go to the stewards room for that one. <laughs> <laughs> there was an issue there. I should, I should have asked you, shouldn't I, really? That, that uh, error. Who was closest gets the point. Now, oh. you know what? I'm going to be brutal. No points. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. who was who finished tenth and questioned how many points? Coops was that ten. Oh, Hamilton. Got Coops Hamilton is is correct. Yeah. The only that reason is... that I couldn't do that then is because I couldn't think of my name. I literally am that tired. <laughs> I was like, what? what no, uh, What's uh, my name? He- that guy, him, <laughs> <laughs> him up there. <laughs> the one, the one that drives. <laughs> and the final question of the weekend. Which driver crashed out at the end of the pit lane, which meant that Hamilton could not pit? Coops. Coops. Oh, Chicago stopped at the entrance of the pit lane. No, it wasn't. Sponge. It was Fernando Alonso. It, it, it's both of those, but it's, uh, Daniel Ricciardo... <laughs> so that's a different one. <laughs> da, da, no, da, Daniel Ricciardo did it a little bit earlier, so it wasn't actually in, in the way of the pit lane. I thought it was, he was it out was, the way. It was Fernando Alonso that, that, that did it actually closest to the pit, pit entrance. So, uh, yeah, you are correct, Sponge. I'll give you that point. That was the part of the race I was listening to on the radio. So I because <laughs> I was coming home from work while watching it on my phone. I had to come off the bus, so uh, you missed that bit. Uh, yeah, I could hear it, but they never described it. I knew he was failing, but I didn't know that's what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's uh, one point each then uh, for, to put onto the scoreboard. Okay, well, let's get into the review. Hopefully that's wet, wetted our appetite. We can talk about some of those things, uh, incidents that happened during the Grand Prix. We'll talk about that awesome battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen um, because we did have an absolutely brilliant fight between the two and very clean, very, very nice and entertaining to watch too. Coops, yeah. what, did you, what did you think of the battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen? Oh, it was great. I think it was just even better the fact that none of them wanted to go over the DRS line first. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Yeah. So then Leclerc went, oh, sorry, I'll just go then. <laughs> but yeah, it was brilliant. Um, it, was, it, it seems to be a running pattern with the Grand Prix just now. We have an exciting start. We have a bit of a lull. Everything's building. And then you have a few, a few laps, but everything's really exciting. But another Grand Prix and another testament to these regulations uh, even the drivers have come out and said it's like go-kart racing they can all follow might not be able to pass as easy but they're there to have the opportunity to do it Yeah. but yeah those last few laps were great uh, and they were, they were back and forth throughout the whole race weren't they it was uh, you know yeah it was it was always leading up to something uh, and you know I think Verstappen had to be told quietly uh, by the Red Bull pit wall like, like no just chill you know we're going to get by the end just you know just we're, we're building something here you know take it easy Uh I mean, he, he talked about respect at the end of the race, but I don't think Leclerc had heard him over the radio saying, he's been over that line, he's been over that line, he's been over that line, he's been over that line. Yes. You know, he has, it, has been a bit kind of antsy on the radio, hasn't he, over the last couple of races this year? Do you think he's feeling the pressure of being 
world champion in this uh, season? No, and a defending world just, champion? I think his real personality is coming out of you, but <laughs> <laughs> I think he's always had that wee element of being a bit of a douche. Uh, <laughs> so he's got his big contract, he's won his championship, so he's allowing that to come out a wee bit more, I think. But yeah, it probably is pressure. I mean, the target's on his back. He is the he is the man now. You know Hamilton's fighting for tenth and getting passed by a Haas. So I mean he's out the picture for the next few races. So mm. yeah, probably is. Yeah. But you know what? I was correct with my uh, guess last week. We made the predictions for the uh, for the for the top three, and I guessed correctly that the, the podium was going to be Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz. So I win in the predictions there. My bold prediction. My bold prediction predict- was incorrect. Yes, and your fastest lap was incorrect. Was it not Charles Leclerc? Did I not say Charles? It was Charles Leclerc. Yes. No, you got your poll wrong, did you not? Yeah, I got the poll that wrong. So I got a couple a couple wrong, but most of I, it I right. mean, I mean, my bold prediction was uh, Schumacher was going to get points. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Woody Annell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not not great. Well, let, uh, before we move on to Schumacher, are you enjoying seeing the Ferraris back on top um, now with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz? I am that that Monegasque slash Italian national anthem co- combination. I don't think there's a better one in sport, is there really? So it's very it's cheery. Nice. Yeah, it was nice to see him win last, uh, well, the first race of the season. But I think I think they need it. They need a really good season. I've I've been quite critical of them before for kind of wasting away so much money on very little progress. Uh-huh. Um, but one thing I want to touch on with Ferrari this season. It's not just their two cars that are doing well. It's everything powered by Ferrari are doing yes. extremely well. And I think uh-huh. that's worth noting right now that they, they're doing a good job, not just for them, but for their customer teams as well. And I think that's really important. You know, it's 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 showing that they've made real good progress. You know, when they turned around and said, like, you know, Binotto wasn't at a few races towards the end of last season. He was, you know, he was overseeing everything. I think it speaks volumes now that mm-hmm. he really did push a lot of progress there. So well done to him and well done to the team. They're doing really well. Yeah, that engine looks the strongest out of the lot, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Certainly certainly hasn't had the failures that the, the Red Bull engine has had. And of course, just the slowness uh, of the Mercedes engine currently. Mm. Um, but yeah, are you happy to see Max Verstappen uh, take Charles at the end? Or would you prefer to see Charles Leclerc uh, on the top step? I mean, everybody knows that I'm not Max's biggest fan. Um, no, I, really. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, the first two races of this season, they've they've raced hard, but I uh-huh. think mainly they've they've been very fair with each other. Yeah, that goes. You know, I said I said before when Lewis and Max were bumping into each other so many times, it takes two to tango, and I think you know that's equally as important when they're driving really well as well. You know, these cars can follow a lot closer. Uh-huh. And it's it's you know making for much better racing. Um, so yeah, credit to them both. You know they're they're both um, they're both making sure that we're being entertained, but within the within the the lines of acceptance, really. And it's really good. It's good to watch. The respect is there at the moment, but as the season progresses and it gets a bit more feisty, do you think we'll see a few bumping and grinding on the uh, on the front? I don't know. There's part of me that kind of thinks that Verstappen's out to prove that when he races everybody else, he doesn't bump into them. <laughs> so kind of, you know, push home the fact that when him and Hamilton are together, then, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, or that it's not his fault. Yeah. It's him and, and Lewis. But I think, you know, yesterday was proof. 
he, he was pulling out of a lot of situations that he wouldn't have with Lewis. That's true. So, Does that, there'll, be know, a, there'll be a different mindset that he does go into uh, in a championship yeah, yeah. fight with, you know, a seven-time world champion and somebody who's also course, fighting for their first, you know. Yeah, I think it, only time's going to tell, like last season, you know, only time's going to tell what happens, but I'm happy with... It, it seems a lot more mature from Max. Yeah. Which I think is credit to him. Um, I'm not I'm not over um, over enamoured with the way that he keeps coming across the radio. But then Lewis is exactly the same, isn't he? You know, he can yeah. be quite feisty on the radio. He can be quite um, disres- not disrespectful, but you know, he can be quite blunt and yeah, say when- things that he doesn't necessarily need to over the radio publicly. You know, he's just get on with your racing kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, he's he's the world champion. He's you know, defending his title. And I think so far, everything's been quite a lot more mature this season from him. Yeah, well, he's certainly, you know, up there, apart from obviously the, the DNF last week, but he had nothing to do with that. And that was obviously due to the vacuum within the fuel cell itself. Mm. Um, Coops, let's talk about his teammate, Sergio Perez. He had an absolutely brilliant qualifying lap. Um, you know, purple sectors within uh, quite a few of the sectors, uh, in, in two of the sectors, I think it was, uh, to, to plant it on pole. Um, and then it, it just disappeared in the race. Do you want to kind of break down what happened for Sergio Perez? Pure bad luck and Nicholas Satifi causing a safety car. Now, where have we heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Yes, he came out of the pits the lap before Latifi crashed into the wall, which brought out the safety car, which meant that when he went into the pits, came out doing it at full, you know, green racing, you know, green flag racing. Yeah. Uh, when everybody else went in, they basically got a free pit stop and he came out fourth. Well, he came out third and he got told to go into fourth. Yeah, because the whole cause... safety line uh, yes. fiasco. And it, the, there was somebody on, uh, it was either Twitter or on Facebook that said that the FIA got it all wrong and they made a complete mess of the Sainz uh, Perez thing and Sainz couldn't, you know, couldn't win the race because they'd done that wrong. Hashtag bring back Massey. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you smoking? Uh, I mean, even Sainz and Perez both said it was the right call. Uh, yeah, as long as it was car. done, I suppose. That's, that's yeah, the main thing. It was the safety car line. So there's a safety car line you come out the pits. And the... Uh, Ferrari was in front of Perez uh, or sort of signs as they crossed the line. It wasn't even marginal. Uh, it was very clear. Uh, so pretty much uh, Red Bull were told, I think, quietly. And I did like how it was done very quietly. There was no fuss. It came up, they're looking at it. The restart happened and then they were told straight away, like, you need to get that back. Done. Fine. Sorted. Uh, so, and that was that. You know, once he got into, once he got stuck in there, the rest of them went away in front. Uh, it was just one of those, the gods of motorsport just just decided to spite him, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just unfortunate. If he'd just came in the day. lap half, if he'd waited la- half a lap later, uh, the safety car would have been out. It would have been a different race. Absolutely. But well, he, he, led, did... he led more laps this year uh, in that race than he did the whole of last year, um, which is not another hard. interesting stat. <laughs> no, it wasn't hard considering last year, but, you know, no. last year was a two-man a two man season. Uh, he, he did exactly it was a good weekend for him uh, he, he, he did the best he could with what he had and dealt with what he had he didn't really put a foot wrong and I mean that lap to get pole position in Jeddah I mean that's a circuit and a half to get pole position on oh and he's a cracking and lap absolutely cracking it was, lap. it was a cracking lap against the likes of Verstappen who does enjoy 
racing their non-circuits as well. So it, it's just, it was unfortunate. It wasn't really anything they'd done wrong. It was all about strategy and trying to sell a dummy to Ferrari, you know, do what, you know, do what he, whatever he doesn't do. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, uh, yeah, bad. but had had you know had he not gone in, the same would have happened to Charles Leclerc. You know, the the lap later he would the, the crash would have happened, then he would have been this a similar, you know, yeah. bad position. So it, it really is just the luck of the draw. Um, let's talk about then the other incident in qualifying. Uh, obviously, uh, there were a couple of incidents actually, uh, a couple of offs. Um, it was obviously the the one with Mick Schumacher, um, and that was a really big, you know, that that car was. Was destroyed, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, sponge. That, that was a shunt. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. a big, big I old, think, big old shunt. I think it was. Um, I mean, I say last last year, but it was only a few months ago, wasn't it, when they first went there? I think there was a few of us on here that were kind of like, you know, making quite plain our um, disapproval at the track. Mm-hmm. It was just very, very dangerous. I know they've made a number of changes to it, but I just still thought it's. It's not great. And it's I think, just I'm, so quick, I, isn't it? Yeah. You'd, I mean, you know, you, you only have to look to Alonso with the way that he was going so slow around the track. It was terrifying. You know, it was like there was nowhere for him to stay off the line and he was going around these corners at like 50, 60 mile an hour when there were cars coming around there 150, 200 mile an hour. Mm. And, you know, just, just to see Mick's incident, he didn't really do all that much wrong. It's just the way that the car kind of like bottomed out on that curb, you know. And when when you've got um, the the ground effect, the reliance on ground effect the way that it is now, as soon as anything you know kind of goes, it just snaps. Uh-huh. And it just it. I mean, I wasn't actually watching it live, but I saw the video on Sky Sports straight away. Obviously, when they loaded loaded it up, mm. and it was it was horrible to kind of see him motionless almost as well. It was only it was only when they showed the the kind of in the cockpit view, uh-huh. that you realise that he was actually, you know, moving around all the time. Mm. Um, but I, th- I thought he was out cold. You know, it, was, it wasn't nice to see at all. Oh, he would absolutely have been, uh, at the very least, kind of winded and, uh, you know, yeah, completely, yeah, not not for six. Yeah, um, it's not nice to see as it coops. We don't like to see accidents like that. There's, it was on uh, against the concrete barriers because it wasn't re- really a, a place where people would normally kind of go off. Um, as a sponge said, it kind of just snapped and, and kind of went away with him. Um, what was your take? Yeah. Oh, it, it was. I was. Uh, I had a bit of a gap between my shifts and I was watching it. And I think I shouted, "Shoot!" I, I was like, "Oh, Mac!" Like out loud in the middle of a cafe uh, when it happened. Uh, and yeah, basically, just to kind of expand on what Sponge said, it's the the, the cars for this year are stiffer and they run low to the ground. So mm. it doesn't take much to bottom them out. And yeah. basically what happened was his rear right, I think it was. Yeah, if yeah. I remember. Yeah. He, he went too wide at the curb. The rear right lifted and it snapped and took him straight into the wall. It was uh-huh. 150 mile an hour he was going at that part of the track. Yeah. Uh, and it was a full side on. Car was written off. The A couple of things. The car is supposed to crumple. Like a few folk had said on Twitter, and I think our conversations in our group chat, they were like, oh, it's fallen to bits. But that was designed specifically from this year as a consequence of the 2020 crash involving Roman Grosjean. So it was designed to fall to bits in the way that it did, especially the rear part of the car. Mm-hmm. And also the crash structure. The side impact crash structures were made 15% stronger for this season. Wow, okay. So... That's why Mick Schumacher was fine. Uh, I mean, he'll be sore. He's probably sore now and taking quite a few paracetamol. 
Yeah. Uh, but, do you know, I said it in the group chat that it kind of got me a wee bit emotional and normally these things don't. We've, I've watched motorsports since nine, the early 90s, crashing is part of the game. You can kind of tell, oh, that's a big one. Uh, yeah. But the whole weekend, I had, a, I had a bad feeling. You know, the situation in free practice with the, the missile attack only a few kilometres away. They had a four-hour meeting about safety and security and then a big accident and then the camera wouldn't zoom in. Yeah. They wouldn't replay it. And I was just like, I'm having a this, is, this doesn't feel good. And then they were like, oh, he's fine. He spoke to his mum, everything's cool. But even during the race, I'm just like, you know, everything was building a wee bit. It, it felt a wee bit like, uh, 1994 when Senna passed that whole weekend there was just a bad aura about the whole yep, weekend I completely just, agree Coops and some I was just like please please don't crash don't crash don't 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 I was just waiting for it and then of course we ended up actually having a pretty good race uh, it was pretty exciting to watch uh, but it, yeah it was just I'm just to be honest for the first time and the whole time I've watched Formula 1 I'm glad it's over <laughs> <laughs> and we've got all drivers going home. Yeah. Uh, uh, like you say, Mick will be a kind of, you know, rubbing some bruises this week, but he's he's alive and well. Um, unfortunately, didn't obviously have the opportunity to race uh, on the Sunday because the car was just in absolute carnage uh, in, in bits. And so it would, just wouldn't be logistically uh, possible to put that car together. And obviously well, he, think, he, would, he think... would probably feel... Uh, not not in the best place to, to kind of drive uh, after such a big shunt well, as well. To put to kind of put that one in, uh, as well. That from what I've what I've heard and what I was when I read enough about, has to have said that Mick could have driven. Uh, he was fit to drive. There wasn't any injuries. There was any concerns. However, the problem was that they did have enough parts to rebuild it for Saudi. But then if he has another accident, they might not have had enough parts for Australia. Right. So they just thought, look, we don't want to push it here. It's that kind of thing where, you know, you see it online or you hear about people doing like stunts, you know, motorbike riders, and they thought, oh, I was just going to do that one more. And then they have the big massive accident that hurts themselves. They just thought, look, we're pushing it here. Yeah. We'll just save it. We'll take our time. We'll regroup and we'll go to Australia. Okay. Well, let's let's move on from Mick. Uh, Mick and now, um, obviously, we're, we're happy that he's uh, well, alive and well and, and, and fully fit, really. Uh, hopefully, he'll be um, back in the mix uh, when he go, ventures over to Australia uh, for the first time in his F1 career. Nice, have a race. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Mercedes then. Obviously, we, we're, we're talking about uh, qualifying uh, a little bit because um, the first time in since 2017, uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't get out of Quali 1. So that was a massive surprise. But was it a really big surprise because that car is just not performing? Is it, Sponge? I don't think it's a surprise. Um, I think it's... I mean, what I'm trying to say is I don't think this weekend was a surprise given their pace, Yeah. you know, from the, from the first race. I think it is a surprise that Mercedes have fallen back so far. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm baffled, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, not, not just have they fallen back as a team, but their engines just don't seem to be... I, I, I just seem to be... I mean, you, you look at the standings, you know, was it seven of the, the bottom eight or something at one stage when Mercedes powered? Yeah. Um, and that was only because Russell was so far up. Uh, he didn't make a clean sweep, you know. It, it's just... I mean, it was like us, you know, we, we've last season. We had the same car, and it was like, so how can you go backwards so much, really? Um, which, obviously, you know, when, you, when you're when digging under the surface, there were so many reasons, but... 
Yeah, with Mercedes, things things don't particularly seem to be adding up there at the moment. I think we've heard the term, haven't we, before they're trying to understand their car. Yeah. Which confuses me even more because it's like, well, you designed it. <laughs> 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 A bit weird, but whatever. But I think, I mean, you know, they've got the resource, haven't they, to, to come good. Um, so, I, yeah. It's, I think it's... given a big up, up, upgrade package in, say, Imola, one of the, the, the first uh, European race, I think we'll probably see him moving towards the front a bit more. Um, it, it was it, it was just quite out of character for, obviously, Hamilton to be behind his teammate. Obviously, George Russell did get into all the way into Q3, um, but the, the balance just wasn't right with that, with that Mercedes under Lewis Hamilton this weekend. And in the race, he didn't do... Much better. Obviously, he had a bit of bad luck with the uh, with the safety car um, and not being able to pit um, because of uh, Alonso, as we rightly uh, discussed earlier. Um, but you know that he was still scored a point. He's still within a point. Still, you know, that's some minor um, cons- consolation prize for him. This puts us in an interesting quandary as well. <clears throat> if if on pace George is quicker than Lewis. How long do they give it until they say, right, we're back in George and not Lewis? And how do you then justify back in, you know, the newbie over your, your seven-time world champion? It's, it's, it's going to be one to follow, I think. Yeah, well, what I did like about the actual race, which is a good segue, actually, but Alpine, uh, they yeah. went to Otmar Safnauer in the, uh, on the pit wall, uh, the, the Sky Sports team did, and they, uh, they said, are you going to stop them racing? And, and uh, Otmar was like, no, they want they can race, they can have fun. Uh, we're, 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 Translated we're, into English, that meant no. Alonso told me I was not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. To, it was good to see a teammate battle. Um, you know, Ocon was doing well to keep him behind. He did some great uh, defending manoeuvres. He did some great overtaking manoeuvres later on in the in the race, and it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Very exciting. Um, and hopefully, like you've just mentioned with the Mercedes, hopefully they let uh, the Mercedes team do let uh, the young gun. Um, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton fight equally um, throughout the majority of the season until it's mathematically impossible for one or the other um, to to kind of win the championship, I guess. Uh, but it's good yeah. to see that sort of uh, competitiveness, isn't it, Coops, between teammates? Yes, but I think all my staff's never going to have PTSD with two pink cars racing supposed to go. <laughs> uh, it didn't go. It didn't go very well the last time, uh, and they, I mean they've done well. They, you know, they had their moments. I think it hindered the race because Bottas sat behind the two of them when I got sales lad. <laughs> got her up to the back, and then it, then they got away, and then it you know went back, and then unfortunately Bottas retired. But yeah, I think they need to allow it, but I think they'll let it happen for a wee bit too long. I think they maybe a couple of laps, maybe three or four, get a good idea, and then rein it in because I think, and then let it settle, and then if they get close again, go again. I think we were just. They were they left it a wee bit too long, and again in the longer term, that's going to that's going to cause an issue with your overall what you want to do. I mean, you, you want to go forward, you don't want to fight with your your teammate and end up falling back. And, but it was good to see. It was good to see some battles, and you know, it was uh, an exciting race. As you said, as you said uh, when we first introduced the podcast, you said there were a couple of lulls, um, but then safety cars kind of brought out a slight bit more of excitement. Um, with that, obviously there was the 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 kind of cat and mouse backwards and forwards uh, between Leclerc and Verstappen throughout the whole race, um, aided by the DRS. Um, do, what, what are your thoughts with the DRS? Do you, do you think we should keep DRS or do you think it's now, now we can follow uh, that we don't actually need it? No, no, you still need it because you can follow, you still can't pass. But it's not, 
quite got the same power. I mean, I think before, and I think Sponge has been quite vocal before, like, you know, you see a pass with the old DRS, the old regulations, you know, you've done it from halfway down the street, you pass before you got into the breaking zone at the first corner. I mean, it looked too, uh, it looked too artificial then, but what, the, what DRS is doing now, from what I've seen, is it's getting them closer, but then they have to pass, they have to, it's not a given. Like Bahrain, they weren't passing, they were getting close enough to get a move into the first corner, but they weren't passing halfway down the straight. Uh, no, so I, I think what the error was with this track was the fact that they had two DRS points and two DRS uh, zones uh, and detection points. So the person that obviously took the lead after the first detection point was swiftly overtaken by the next DRS uh, activation point. The Jeddah track's an anomaly. I mean, it's the fastest track there, uh, or street circuit, and one of the fastest tracks in the whole, uh, you know, the calendar. And it's got, is it two or three detection DRS zones? But they're very close together. They're, they're kind of only separated by maybe one corner. So this track's a bit different. But no, I think DRS is, it's still needed. It's still required. But it's not quite, it's more of a tool. It's like the overtake button in IndyCar. You know, they've got a hundred and so many seconds over the course of the race. They can press that button to get, you know, a wee bit of a boost to pass somebody or to defend. And then once it's out, it's out. But this is Formula One's version. It doesn't... I, just, I want to get rid of it, personally. Are you, are you on the get rid of it front, Sponge? Yeah, I've been from the start, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I think this season as well, um, I respectfully disagree with Coop's. Yeah, um, me too. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think it's needed. I think it was needed because the sport had become too reliant on bridging that that gap between, you know, the car in front and the car behind because they couldn't follow enough. I think now that cars can follow, I I don't understand why the car behind should have this this function to get them in front. You've got to earn. You've got to earn an overtake, as far as I'm concerned. You, you know, you've got to set it up maybe over laps. You know, you've got to you've got to push that driver in front of you to make a mistake or to, you know, to to miss a line or something like that. I, I don't see why you should be able to just open a flap on your on your wing and just sail on by. That's my personal opinion. It's been like that since the start. I haven't just changed my mind, but I think this season it's time to let it go and ERS as well. All the aids, get rid of them. <laughs> no ERS either. Wow. Okay. Well, well I, don't, I, I don't see the point. Yeah, I suppose if you it's that that's the additional tool to kind of defend against the DRS, I, I guess. Exactly. But, uh, so if so you got rid of the DRS, there's no need for it. One against the other, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I can see you thinking. I can see you thinking. Okay, well, let's speak about McLaren because we are not so secret McLaren fans. Uh, and this year, Coops, it's a little bit hard to watch, isn't it? I mean, Norris in the end kind of did as best as he could, um, but as best as he could isn't anywhere near what they were at last year. No. The car's just not right. I mean, they've got an issue with the brakes, the cooling, but there's a fundamental issue with the pace of the car. It's uh-huh. just not fast enough. What that issue is and whether McLaren understand that issue is another matter. Uh, you know, it's, I think, the, the, the thing is, <clears throat> McLaren are in a difficult situation because you've got Mercedes who know what their problem is yeah. and can't deal with the purpose of they know it. So that's the first part. That's the first bit of you fixing it is know what your issue is. Now, if McLaren don't quite know what the issue is, you've got a whole season of going, well, maybe it's this. We'll try this. Maybe it's that. Or or halfway through developing an upgrade to fix what you think as you actually find out it's not that, but it's this. Then you've got to do, you know, so it can become a bit messy. 
they were a bit closer, but I think that the, McLaren, no, that's not. That was just a circuit. It was a circuit specific situation. They just it just seemed to work a bit better for them. When you go to like say, Australia, nobody really knows how Australia is going to be. It's been resurfaced. It's a different layout. It's faster. Uh, it's going to be a long hold season. I think you're going to. I think we're going to celebrate seeing a few times where Norris is in the points, yeah, uh, and Ricardo in the points. Biggest problem is by the sounds of it, when I heard when, when Ricardo retired, that sounded like a power unit going, "Nah, I'm done." Uh, that was a that was a strange coming out the last corner. It made a squeal sound and then just packed it. So yeah. you know that's one of the pool done by the sounds of it, uh, which doesn't help. But, no, because you know, it'll mean not- penalties down the line. The, the only good thing is they're not as bad as uh, Aston Martin, and they're certainly not as bad as Williams. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a hard one, I think. Uh, Sponge, is there any team that you want to speak about, or or a particular driver you want to speak about before we uh, round up the podcast? Um, I just want to give Ferrari another mention. I think. Whoop, whoop. I think it's yeah. I think you know we I've been critics of their lot, like, very vocal critics of them in the past. Uh-huh. Uh, the way that they kind of just kind of expect to have money thrown at them because of their historical pre- presence in the sport and everything. Yeah. And I've I've been quite um scathing. Been quite vocal at the way. Yeah, scathing. That's a good word. <laughs> in that, you know, in how they've just basically washed it all up the wall and like you know done nothing. And I think this season, the way that they've started the season has proved you know that design wasn't daft. It's obviously had a lot of thought put into it. Bernardo, I think, deserves a hell of a lot of credit after, you know, probably a couple of decades worth of that team going through team principles and uh-huh. not giving the team principles. A bit like a football manager, isn't it? You know, they don't get the chance to prove their worth. I think he's had the chance and they've, they've, you know, they're now reaping the rewards of it. A little bit like uh, McLaren were until the start of the season with Zach Brown and the way that he changed them around. Mm. Um so, yeah, I think just to, to mention them, the two drivers, I think it's probably the best two drivers on the grid as a pairing. Um, you know, I, I think they've got a lot to look forward to this season. Is Carlos, so, yeah. is Carlos going to be questioning his, his own skill at this point? Because he is, he is a few kind of tenths off uh, Leclerc's pace. Is he going to be having a bit of a doubt about himself? Is he, is, is he going to need to have a few kind of, you know, trips to the, the mind doctor to kind of get him in the zone again? Well, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because Leclerc was at one point the poster boy, yeah, and then kind of said a, th- a few things against Ferrari towards the the start to mid last season, and uh-huh. Italian media didn't really take that well to it. And then again this season, it's kind of t- turned around again because he's he's now putting in the the performances again. Uh-huh. So it's, it's it, it will be quite interesting. I think Carlos will be a little bit frustrated that he's languishing a little bit behind, but. You know, again, is he just taking a little bit more time to understand the car? Um, I don't know. I, I do think they'll win the championship this season. And Ooh. I would also add, I'm looking like a bit of a mug so far for saying I was having a cheeky tenor on McLaren pre-season, didn't I? So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I don't go. think that's going to happen this year. Uh, yeah. sad- sadly for uh, Lando Norris, who's signed a lengthy contract with McLaren. Let's hope they can yeah. uh, they can they can do what they can and, and get him back to the front. Um go on then Coops, pick another team, driver or, or something you want to chat about about the weekend. Uh, well I was quite surprised by the amount of retirements to be honest. Yeah. I mean we had two retirements, both volumes from accidents, but then we had uh, we had uh, Ricardo, Sonoda, Alonso, Bottas, 
all retiring because of engine or some sort of mechanical issue, which in this era of Formula One doesn't happen. No, well, it <laughs> hasn't really, happened, yeah. It hasn't. I mean, last, the last race was just uh, Gasly, which was another uh, issue with his, in, with his power unit. Uh, it kind of puts pay to the fact that Mercedes have the most fragile one because that's each of the manufacturers all failing. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Sonoda didn't even make it to the start uh, and his engine packed in, uh, uh-huh. which is unfortunate. And then, you know, Bottas was an overheating issue. Ricardo sounded something terminal in the power unit. So that's a Ferrari, an Alpine, they lost all drive. You know, so that's a Renault, uh, a Mercedes and Ferrari all having issues of some sort. Alpine. Uh, well, it's a Renault engine, so it's an Alpine, but it's the Renault engine. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> you know, that was that was bizarre to see. Uh, Albon's down; he's got a three-place grid penalty for causing the collision near the end of the last couple, the last lap or so, with uh, the dive bomb with uh, Stroll. Oh yes, yeah, that was uh, needless, completely needless. That wasn't was it? a bit. It was a bit bizarre, but then I mean that Aston Martin's a tank because that Williams fell to bits. <laughs> Oh, front corner, I went, uh, well, the Aston Martin just kind of went on. I think it helped that it didn't hit the actual tyre tire wall, it hit the actual, uh, the rim, uh, and the, the wing kind of disintegrated against the wheel rim rather than the tyre, the tyre itself of the tyre wall. Um, yeah. Could could have could possibly have had a puncture if it if it had done so, but... but yeah, not not a good weekend for the Williams boys. Uh, Albon doing what he did and Latifi is just... First two races, couple of races to forget for Latifi, to be honest. And now, you know what? I, I did uh, rate him as a driver, but he's certainly not showing that now. So he needs to regroup uh, for Australia and kind of put, put it all behind him. Uh, what I do want to talk about before we go is obviously the, the fact that there was a bomb uh, that went off uh, three kilometers from the circuit. Obviously, the drivers were in a deliberation for over four hours whether to go ahead with the race. Um, and eventually, they, they I think convinced uh, is, a, is a, a softer way of saying uh, that they were kind of told you've got to do it um, that the, the race was going to be fine obviously the team principal said they wanted to go ahead and the FIA and, and F1 and the Saudi Arabian, uh, Arabian government uh, said they were absolutely happy for it to go ahead um, which of course they at the end of the day it, it was safe um, but do you think Coops that we should have raced there or do you think we should, they should have called it a day and would it have made a nice statement uh, to the world Given that that's the state the statement they made against Russia, um, right? Well, the year. okay. So cancelling the weekend because of what happened would probably not be a good idea. Not because the the rumor flying around Twitter that we might not make it out the country. I mean, that, oh that, yeah, that that was put that to was, bed though, wasn't it? It wasn't, was, it wasn't was a threat. threat. It wasn't no, a threat. It was. There was nothing. Uh, the conflict in Saudi Arabia has been going for about eight or nine years. It's to do with Yemen and Saudi Arabia. I don't know the political side of it, why they're doing it. They just are. The race should never have went to Saudi Arabia in the first place because of that, not because of any other human rights. I mean, there's a lot of other issues. I mean, they, they had their first, they had the biggest mass execution of people. I think there's 81 people were, were publicly executed just before they went to Saudi Arabia. Uh, they've had this, this uh, attack at the oil refinery. The drivers took a stand and quite right to them. They, they went in and went, right, lads, we're, we're not happy with this. Uh, they were, as you put it, convinced. Uh, the GDPA put a really nice statement, which I don't have to hand, and it basically said there's some things that are bigger than Formula One that we needed discussions about, and we needed, and it was Alex Birch, the ex-F1 driver, 
It's the president of the it's basically the drivers union. Uh, it's just basically going to Saudi Arabia is about money. Regardless of how Formula One want to put it, this is because of their financial models, because of the excesses in the past, the amount of money they've spent when they flung the money before things started to change, the amount of money they've lost over the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, having to hold races without getting any kind of fee for them uh, so that they could have a championship. So, you know, they, it's political. Uh, anybody who turns around and says that going to Saudi Arabia is or, or racing Formula One, they should take the politics out of it. Well, you can't. It's a global sport. It goes and they haven't for Ru- they haven't for Russia. They've they've penalised Russia. It it it's just kind of uh, there is a slight hypocrisy there. Uh, if you if you're going to look at it, kind of that. Yes, something just there is. I mean, obvious. The, the thing I, I was listening to another podcast today, and they brought up a very good point, or it made me think of a good point. I mean, there's no way they're going to announce uh, a Grand Prix in Ukraine. It's a war zone just now. And it's not a place that they should be. You know, I'm not saying that in a negative term against Ukraine. They're just not going to do it. Nobody's going to go there. It's just not going to happen. Now, Saudi Arabia is in a war. Not the same type of war, but it's still a war. And they took Formula One there. Now, this other podcast talked about having some sort of charter. It was a really good idea uh, where, they, where every country scored based on human rights records or whatever, a bit like the UN charter. And if you've got so many points, Formula One say, look, you need 20 points to get in. You've got 15. We'd love to come, but you're not coming to your points are up there. So in other words, I'll be blunt. They should turn around and say to a country similar to that and say, look, sort your shit out, then we'll come. But they don't. It's money. And that that's, uh, I think it's, it's brought, that situation on Friday has brought very much to the forefront the situation in Saudi Arabia, that Formula One now can't ignore that. And if they do ignore that, there's a big moral issue that needs to be looked at uh, because the drivers certainly aren't. And I think it was a saving grace that for Formula One that Sebastian Vettel wasn't there because <laughs> he ain't no fool uh, and I don't think he would have stood up. I think I he was think... there. I think he was there virtually, wasn't he? Uh, well, there were, there were rumours about him being being there by Zoom or Skype. Yeah, or... but I, I, I mean, I would have found it very difficult. I think Sebastian would have found it extremely difficult to drive that weekend, not because of the Aston Martin car being so bad, but, you know, the situation. I don't think he particularly enjoys going there in the first place just because of his own kind of moral compass. And, and... Sponge, let's get, let's get your opinion on it. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you think about it? Do you want the honest opinion or do you want my everything F1 podcast opinion? No, give us your honest opinions. Uh, at this stage, I, I wouldn't trust... Formula One to make the, the right decision about anything right now, to be honest. Mm. I think Hoops touched on it earlier. It was one of them where I, I've said this on this podcast a lot of times. When something happens on a Grand Prix weekend that makes it feel not right to be there, the first thing I want them to do is go home. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, when things happen and it just doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel safe, they should be going home. Now, that decision, I've made my mind up in that that decision was all about money. Yeah. And the only reason that they raced was because of money. Now, if Formula One as a sport is being governed by money, then I don't trust Formula One to be safe anymore at all. And, I, you know, it, it makes me sad to think that they would happily put all of them people in danger when, at the end of the day, it's like Coops has said, everything around that country says that they should not be racing Formula One cars around any track in inside their in inside their borders. 
and the fact that, that Formula One, one, have signed a contract with them in the first place and then pulled all the stops out to make sure that that happens, it means it's commercial. So I don't care, I don't care what they say from this point on. I don't trust them to make the right decision for the safety of, you know, of anybody. You go back to the, the, the COVID issue. If it wasn't for the Australian government saying, yes, you're not allowed to race, Formula One would have raced. It's as simple as that. Even though there were people that were drop, you know, dropping down in the, the pit lane through the disease, they, they were like, no, no, we're still racing. Everything is driven by money. And it, it worries me. It really does. Because, you know, where, where does that end? Principally, yeah. you know, and then they go and race under the We Racers One logo, and <laughs> you know, it's just it's virtue signaling. It's it's worst, and it's hypocrisy at its best. Absolutely, and I, I I don't like it. I that they shouldn't have raced. Um, I'm glad that the the drivers tried to put up a a, a challenge. Yeah, it's good days. Um, yeah, but it it clearly shows where F1's priorities are, and. You know, it, it, it just it just worries me for the future. You know, it really does. No, I I, I agree with a lot of what you've said. Uh, as I say, I think it's hypocritical that they didn't pull out, uh, given this the the, the the fact that they pulled out of Russia immediately, um, for obvious reasons. It may, it, you know, uh, yeah. but if if one country's in conflict and you pull out of that that country because it's in conflict, what why aren't you pulling out of every country that's in conflict? Um, anyway, that's that's our opinion on the uh, situation. Uh, didn't want to end it on the doom and gloom. So what we have got is we've got an interview <laughs> with Ayrton Simmons, who's an F3 driver. Uh, me, Sophia and Emma sat down with him late last week just to discuss his career uh, and his plans for the future. So here it is, an interview with Ayrton Simmons. So hello, Ayrton Simmons. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm very good. Thanks very much for asking. Um, welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. Uh, today, obviously, we've got another couple of members from our team. We've got Sophia and Emma. Hi, Sophia. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Are you looking forward to speaking to Ayrton? Yeah, I got a few questions lined up as well, so it's going to be quite good, a good, good one. Good. And Emma, you too? Yeah, definitely. Good. Okay, Ayrton, I, I can't go really far into this podcast without asking about the name Ayrton. All, all the connotations that that name brings to Formula One fans and... Uh, you know, all, all, all those sorts of people that have watched racing over the last, you know, 20 years to 30 years um, will know this name, won't they? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big name and, and big boots to fill. Um, so who, sure. who gave you it? Was it your dad's decision or was it your mum's decision? Um, it, was, it was neither, actually. It was my uncle, funny enough. Um, oh, okay. Um, and it, was, it, it wasn't to do with racing at all. It was basically because I'm half Spanish, which... They were trying to find a name that, you know, can be pronounced similar in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so then my uncle just out of the blue said, oh, what about Ayrton? And um, my mum liked the name and my dad obviously was a racing fan, so he wasn't going to say no. So that's actually how it happened, really. I wasn't named after him. It was just sort of trying to find lots of different options and we came up with that one. So what I did, I didn't. <laughs> it's a great name uh, and I, I, it brings out emotions in me because, uh, I, you know, that was around the era that I really started watching in the ni- early to mid-90s that I got really interested. Obviously, Ayrton Senna's death well, had a big impact on me at that age. Um, but it's big, sho- big shoes to fill. Do people kind of look at you thinking, oh, the, he, he's obviously from a racing family, he's got this name, is, is, is he going to be 
the, the next Ayrton Senna? Yeah, it's definitely a, a bit of expectation. There's a good, there's goods and, and plenty of bads as well. Uh, so it's not all good. Um, obviously, the name is catchy to the eye. People go, oh my God, he's named Ayrton. So that's a good thing because it stands out to everyone else. Um, then obviously you're carrying that legacy or you feel like you're carrying that legacy. So there's mm. always a bit of added pressure there to um, to perform a bit better. Were you always destined to be a, a driver, do you think? I don't know. I fell in love with it from such a young age that probably, yeah. Um, from the moment I stepped foot in a go-kart at the age of five years old, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. So you, you could say so, yeah. Because <laughs> obviously you have the same initials as well as yeah. him. <laughs> So it's even yeah. more pressure as well. It's not just the first name, it's the initials and everything. Um, so you were talking about um, that you have Spanish. Why did you choose to drive under the UK flag and not the Spanish flag? Like, was there any particular reason? Um, it's to do with the licensing. I mean, in the suit and on the car, I have both flags, but under my name, it, it shows up as, as English purely because... Um, yeah, I've done my arts tests in the UK. I was racing in the UK at the time. And um, obviously, all my sort of legal racing stuff is is under uh, a British licence. So that's that's the only reason, really. But, you know, as I said, like on the helmet, I've got both flags. Uh, on the suit, both flags. And the cards and usually have both flags as well. So, um, yeah, it's only the, the licensing, really. So having been the runner-up in GB3 last year, 2021... How much of a difference or how little of a difference is it stepping from GB3 to an F3 car? Is there big differences or how is that yeah. for you? Yeah, it's, it's still, you know, regardless of where you finish, the jump is huge. It's really big. Um, yeah, the car's got nearly double the horsepower, um, a lot more downforce. Um, and you're up against, you know, you're in a world championship. You know, you're up against the best drivers in the world, the best teams in the world. There's a huge, I noticed that there's a big, uh, big difference in, in the level, um, as you'd imagine. So, yeah, it's been, a, obviously, you can't just expect to, to jump in an FIA free car after doing a season of GB3 and expect to do well straight away. It's going to take some time to adapt and mm-hmm. getting used to, you know, the car and the tyres. So that's where we're at at the moment, to be honest. Well, you've, you've only had two races, so uh, three races, isn't it now? Um, you did two races mm-hmm. last year uh, and then you've got, obviously, uh, your Bahrain experience. Uh, uh, so, how is the speed in that car? Is, is it is it like nothing you've ever felt before? Was it? Was, did it take your breath away when you when you first kind of put your foot to the floor? Yeah, when I first jumped in in Sochi, it was it was pretty amazing. Like the from the G force point of view, it was like wow, like your whole body moves a lot further. Well, wants to go a lot further back. So so does your neck. So from that point of view, yeah, it was a big difference. Um, but where the tracks are a lot wider than what I'm used to, you don't feel like you're going that much quicker. Uh, right. You know you are, but it doesn't because you've got a lot more space. There's a lot more runoff everywhere. Um, it doesn't feel as quick. Um, it's funny because I've done a test after that race in Sochi. I've done a test in Autumn Park back in a GB3 car. And mm. I remember telling my team, I was like, this feels a lot quicker than what I was doing in in Sochi, just purely because you've got white line grass and you've got barriers all close to you um, and the tracks are a lot narrower, of course. Since you've moved up to Formula 3, how's the, like, getting used to the travelling and stuff like that? Like, do you find it quite tiring? It's quite exciting for me because I've done a, a little bit of travelling in 2020 
uh, been a year of, I've done half a year of Formula season so that sort of got me up to grips with you know there's a lot of things you have to learn funny enough when you're travelling because um, it can have an impact on your driving for sure especially with time differences like we had in Bahrain um, but to be honest like I gave myself plenty of time to fly out to Bahrain um, you know a few days just chilling there getting used to you know, the temperature, the time difference. And by the time uh, it was time to step in the car, it felt a lot more like home because I was there for, for a long period of time. Um, but again, that comes from learning, you know, in, in that season where I just mentioned in 2020, I would arrive the night before, um, you know, I'd sometimes drive in from England. I remember driving to Monza because there was no flights. Um, and that was just horrendous. So yeah, there's um, a few things I learned from that. But so far, it's been it's been good. It's been exciting. So hopefully, you know, we've got a few more countries to visit. Hopefully, it stays the same. Uh, which one are you looking forward to the most? Which race or which country? Both, I guess. Um, race, I've got to say the British Grand Prix for sure. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's my home race. So yeah, and I've. Lots of people cheering me on, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, the track itself is amazing. It's one of my favourites as it is, uh, regardless of anything. Mm. So, um, in country, probably the Netherlands, I'm, I have to say. I went there many years ago in my go-karting days um, and I did really enjoy it. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going back there and seeing if it's, well, if I can still remember it the same. Are you a Max Verstappen? Verstappen fan just because you say you like Netherlands yeah of course he's, he's a fantastic driver um, you know I'm I'm quite neutral and I, I know when a driver is talented and for sure Max is very very talented so yeah I am a fan I'm a massive fan of, of his driving for sure is there anyone in particular that's like an idol for you there was a few growing up not not so much now not so much now To be, I don't know why to be honest but when I was growing up probably Lewis Hamilton um, Sebastian Vettel as well um, obviously Edson Senna but it was it was different because I didn't get to watch him live so mm. you know naturally I was more sort of uh, rooting towards like the likes of Vettel even Fernando Alonso Alonso was probably the first one um, he's probably the reason why I started go-karting so um, yeah I was naturally more drifted into them because I was watching him week in week out so yeah and obviously uh, uh, Fernando Alonso has got the Spanish uh, nationality as well um, have you yeah. met him have you have you had any any opportunities yeah. to, to speak to him yeah I met him not that long ago actually it was uh, end of 2020 um, I was at a test in Barcelona with Drivex obviously a Spanish team and he just bowled in a garage he was doing some filming for Renault and he just <laughs> bowled in I don't know I was like is that is that really? <laughs> he knew he knew the people from the team and stuff and started talking, um, but yeah, um, unfortunately he was talking, he was speaking in Italian because uh, one of the guys was Italian. But right. luckily, I could sort of you know it's quite similar to Spanish in a way, so I could sort of understand what he was saying. Um, mm. But yeah, got you know he's he's very good to be fair because by the end of it, you know everyone in the garage, obviously the rumors spread round. Um, the garages next to us all started going into our garage because I wanted to photo with him and stuff. Um, and after this conversation, he's like, right, kids, boys, let's, let's go. Let's go and have some photos taken. Uh, he obviously knew that that's what we all wanted. So it was spot on, <laughs> to be fair. Absolutely, yeah. You've got to, you've got to take advantage of those sorts of things when, when they arise. 
Um, sure. Well, let's talk about let's talk about your history then, uh, and kind of what the things that you did before that you obviously reached F three. Um, what what was your favourite pre F three uh, and and GB three uh, cars? What were your favourite kind of cars to drive? The Euro form the Dallara F three for the Euro Formula is is a really good car. Um, mm. You know, in terms of grip, ultimate grip, it's probably the grippiest thing you're going to drive. Okay. Um, and in terms, you know, speaking to people that have driven that car and, and a Formula One, they, they've just said that that's probably the closest car you're going to get to to a Formula One in terms of feel. Um, the only downside to that, there's, there's the power. There's, it's not that quick in a straight line. Um, mm. Yeah, but it would be an absolute beast if it had an FIA free engine in, in one of those. It would just be, it, it would be out of this league, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably that's probably my favorite. the GB3 car is really good as well. Um, I must say they've done uh, you know MSV and, and the BRDC they've done an amazing job to put that package together. Um, and yeah, prior to that, I've there hasn't been that many that many cars before that. So yeah. So we're going back to carts then, I guess. Really, where, when you first started, uh, and you were in carts for uh, a, a, quite a while, by the looks of things. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. What was what what was it like first stepping into a cart? Did you just know instantly that this this was the thing for you? Racing? Yeah, yeah. Um, as soon as I said um, a minute ago, as soon as I stepped foot in in a go kart, and it was only a rental cart, um, I just fell in love with it. For me, it felt like I was driving the Formula One car, and I've just won a, <laughs> a world championship. I still remember it clear as day. It was so long ago, but I still remember it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was like I. You know, I absolutely love this more than, than anything. And as a kid growing up, I, I sort of, I struggled to pay attention to lots of things or, or normal things, I'd say, like school. I was, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really get school um, and sort of normal stuff on a day-to-day. I, I struggled a bit to, you know, but as, as soon as I stepped foot in a go-kart, I was like, wow, this is me. Like, I just felt alive. So, um, yeah, it just went up from there, really. And how about kind of funding? Because that's something that everyone obviously struggles over. How have you found uh, drumming up the funds to, to to kind of get your career going? Um, it's been tough, to be honest. So, you know, I don't come from a, a privileged background. So, you know, mm. a, a very large majority of, of my budget comes from investors and sponsors every year. So, yeah, as you say, it's, it's not it's not easy at all. Um, it's been, especially this winter, it's probably been the hardest, you know, hardworking winter we've had to put a budget to go for this year but yeah you sort of you know it's something it's a journey as well because you, you evolve as you're driving and but you're also evolving you know getting people interested um you know finding ways of getting people involved making things interesting you know not just you know paying a load of money and putting a, a logo in the car it, we're not about that because we've actually got to make people have good times and you know we've we've had some of our sponsors we've had for so many years now um, mm. And I think it's because we do quite a good job, but you know, but because we need to, otherwise we can't go racing. So um, yeah, it's, it's probably it's probably the hardest bit, I must say. Uh, once you're at the track, that's the easy bit. You know, you've you've done your bit to to get yourself there. Now it's sort of the more natural stuff to do. Um, but yeah, it's the, for sure, it's it's the hardest bit of, of racing. And how much how much does does a person need to get into kind of? GMB uh, three or, or even F three is it is it um, or part yeah. figures obviously not exactly but you know yeah hundreds of thousands mate hundreds of thousands um, 
you know, and is it to be honest, we struggled a bit because the step from a season GB three to a season of FIA three is a big budget. You know, you're looking at the mm. low, the low hundreds to do GB three, and you're looking at the high hundreds, close to a million, over a million, if you want to, you know, compete and and challenge for a title. So, um, yeah, that's that's what you're looking at. <laughs> Wow. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, as as uh, you're you're twenty, obviously that's uh, that's just astronomical sums of money, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's a shame to be honest. Uh, it's a shame because I always refer, I always compare it to motorbikes. You know, you see Moto Three and Moto Two riders getting paid, and then you sort mm. of think that why are we not getting paid? <laughs> it should be so much easier. <laughs> obviously, it's a lot it's a lot more complicated than that. But you know, yeah, I mean, you you're still putting your you know your life. At risk every time you go out in their cars. What is that something you that you have in your mind when you go out? Kind of the risk that's involved, or or are you just not not afraid of that sort of thing, and you just in the zone? When you first move up to a different car, like say when I moved up to this car, you think about it a little bit, you know, only because you know you know what speed you're getting up to, and you're not used to it. Um, there's a lot more drivers on the track. There's thirty of us, um, you know, trying to overtake each other so it's going to be hard but once that helmet goes on you know all of that goes out the window and and you're just you've got so much to focus on when you're racing that that doesn't even become a fault really so with the mention about like 30 drivers on the grid how does it feel to be driving against some of your gb3 competitors this season like um zach and reese and oliver how like how does that feel from like you guys progressing now into f3 like What's that like? Um, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's familiar faces in the paddock, which is always good. Um, you know, it makes you feel... It, it can be scary at times, especially if you don't know any of the drivers. You're sort of just saying, like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block. But, you know, when you've got a few of you moving up, it's it's good. Um, but, yeah, once... Again, once, once helmet goes on, everyone's the same for me. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but yeah, it's, it's just a different opponent, really. Um, don't think much of it, to be honest. Have you oh. formed some good, good friendships with those uh, or with others uh, throughout throughout your time there? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really have many friends in motorsport. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, maybe I, that's I, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, I talk, I'll talk to them, of course, and say hello and how's your weekend going. But, you know, I've... I think, yeah, it's um, it's a diff- it's a very hard uh, world to be in. So at the end of the day, you are competing against each other. So you know, I'm not going to be your best friend and then try and beat you on a racetrack, which just doesn't make sense, really. <laughs> what was it like for you getting that call to find out that you were going to be in Formula Three? Was that something that you were really excited about? What was your reaction like? Yeah, um, over the moon, and to be honest, it happened so quickly. Um, you know, we had a I had a contract on the table ready to sign to do something else. Um, and Cherou's run last minute, um, obviously saying that they needed the third driver, the third seat was available. You know, what can you do in terms of sponsorship? So from that call, obviously you're happy, but your mind is straight away on, right, the phone calls I need to make, or, um, you know, speaking to to my dad um, and to everyone involved um, to try and get the the money that they were asking. But yeah, once the deal was, you know, signed and, and everything was done, it was it was like wow, like um, 
you know, especially because I didn't see it coming. Um, but I think that's a consequence from not having a lot of budget. You can never plan. You can never have like a two, three year plan like most of these drivers do. Um, we sort of have to take it year by year because I don't know what, you know, what the sponsorship is going to be at the end of the year. So, yeah, I was over the moon, absolutely over the moon. Um, yeah, I think it's because I didn't expect it at all, to be honest. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good day. I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Now you're one step closer to Formula One now. Is that yeah, the end goal? Yeah, for sure. And it's crazy because, you know, you're at the racetrack with all, all the F1 boys, all the F2 boys, and you're seeing them go around and you're like, Jesus, I'm I'm so close to, to where I want to get, you know. So close yet so far, you know, there's still it's still a long way to get there but you know you're in that environment it makes you feel part of it so it's great are you walking around trying to make connections as you're in the planet um yeah obviously you're always trying to meet new faces but to be honest in the paddock it's quite you know spread out um the f1 boys have their own we don't have any access to that um but yeah i know quite a few of f2 drivers and, and you just end up talking to everyone to be honest but yeah usually f2 and f3 end up meeting a lot of people yeah yeah that's good then so what what are your expectations from yourself uh, this year obviously maybe a couple more races to to get accustomed to the car more um you know the differences between last year's uh, gmb3 car and this year's f3 cars and whatnot um can you can you expect yourself to score some decent points yeah, we'll definitely score points this year, 100%. Um, yeah, as you said, it's just taking time to adapt. You know, I've, I've sort of just showed up with no testing or nothing. So I wasn't expecting, you know, points straight away. we got to sort of uh, go little step by little step. Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, qualifying, for example, in Bahrain was disappointing for us. But, you know, we know that's our area, my main area to focus on. So that's what we've got to work on. So yeah, I think my goal for this year is to obviously learn as much as I can and, and to, you know, Im- impress in some way, um, make people have a look at the, the sheets and go, wow, like this kid has, has showed up, just about got the budget and he's, you know, achieving top 15, top 10s, uh, podiums, whatever it is. You know, that's sort of my goal for this year. So um, yeah, but the main one is to improve and to carry on working. So and any positives that you can take from obviously your your race in Bahrain, where you, you moved up spaces. That's that, those those yeah. positives, aren't they? You know. Yeah, lots of positive. Even our negatives are positives for me um, because it was just the true reflection of where we we're at. Obviously, in testing, you don't know what sort of weight people are running. People mm-hmm. running a bit too light. People running, you know, sandbagging. So we didn't quite know where we were. Um, and even though it's a very messy session for some reasons. Um, in qualifying it still is like right okay this is where we're at this is what we've got to work on so it was upsetting but at the same time it was sort of motivating I'm like right you know now I'm going to work you know with not just me but everyone in the team we're going to work to get ourselves to a reasonable spot Um, but yeah that's that's one positive obviously as you said we we moved up quite a few places in the races which is good Uh, shows that Mm. our uh, our car our race car is, is competitive for sure I think in the last race we were you know pretty much top 10 pace the whole race which is impressive very impressive so yeah mm-hmm. but we're not going to be satisfied with that we're still going to work uh, our socks off to, to get higher up the field is, Was that your first time in Bahrain like apart from testing obviously was that your first time on that track? Yeah yeah it was yeah yeah so um, it was actually quite surprising because when you look at it from an outside point of view, it looks 
pretty plain and, and flat. But when we're doing a track walk and going like, geez, like, there's a lot of bumps, you know, it goes up and down. And it's like, this is not what we expected at all. And then driving it, you know, it was great, to be honest. It actually turns out to be one of my favourite tracks that I've driven. So, yeah, it's actually quite cool. Do you work quite closely with the other two drivers as well when, regard, when regarding to how the car runs and strategy? Um, I know like in F1, you have the driver one, driver two, and you kind of do like pitting strategy with both of the drivers. Do you guys do the same as well in F3? Yeah, well, there's, yeah, obviously the, you could say there's three little teams in one team, but at the end of each day, everyone would regroup and give each other an update on, on where we are, car-wise, driving-wise, strategy-wise, everything. So, yeah, no, to be honest, we've got a good bunch. Uh, the morale's very good in the team at the moment. Obviously, we, as a team, as a whole, we, we could say we probably struggled uh, in Bahrain, but, you know, all I can say is that even us three drivers are, are working really hard together, which is... You know, I've I've never really had that. Um, you know, it's, it's rare to see you know three young drivers working together to get the team up up in the field. So um, yeah, I mean that that fills me with confidence. I know that we we're going to get to to where we want to be. So um, in terms of like engineering and, and, and kind of working on cars and that sort of thing, you've got to have a knowledge of how to how to do things. You know what you know what's working, what's not working, and, and give that feedback to. Um, the drivers is that something you were naturally good at as well or was that you know did your dad kind of take you around cars and say this is what this does this is what this does and is your knowledge is your knowledge there from that I must say I've had to improve on my knowledge and my feedback for sure um, but that, that just come I don't know some of it comes from experience um, and some of it comes from working hard on yourself um, so that you know what you need from the car if that makes sense Um but yeah, on my early on my early days of my career, it's, it's definitely one of my weaker points. You know, not really. I could describe what the car was doing, but it was, you know, I could never pinpoint what the car needed exactly. So um, yeah, I mean, for sure now, I'll probably say it's one of my strongest points. You know, I could come in and mid run and tell them what adjustments I'll, I'll feel like the car needs. Obviously, it's up to the engineer. Um, and I'll give a bit of feedback to what the car's doing as well when when I'm describing those changes. So, yeah, so um, it's part of being a racing driver. You've got, you know, there's lots of different aspects that you've got to perfect um, to get to where you want to get. So, and and that will develop even more more and more as you as you get more and more experience in these, you know, elite level cars. Yeah, for sure. As you move up, there's a lot more things that you experience. Um, lots of different. There's more the more things you can change for the car. So um, obviously you, you're going to be learning along as you're moving up as well. So And have you now got buttons on your steering wheel that's, that control lots of different things? Obviously they're maybe not as complex as F1 steering wheels, but you're certainly adding more and more things uh, every time you step up, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got a few, a little bit of customization, uh, which is good. Um, we've got different throttle maps, which, um, yeah, are very handy in a race run, to be honest. Um, and yeah, and different clutch, clutch maps, clutch settings, uh, biting points. So yeah, that's all, um, to be honest, there's two settings we usually use for that. And the engineers sort of, we let them deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. but then it depends on how good or bad your practice start is, or, or you're pulling out of the grid box start is then it's up to you because then you've got all the options that your engineer has on the computer, but because obviously your engineer can't just jump on a track and, and change your uh -huh. mapping quickly, you've got to do it yourself and 
figure out how much you want to change it. So, yeah, as you said, as you're moving up, you you know, you, you look, learn a few bits. And how much does it affect kind of concentration on the race at the time? If you're, if you're adjusting things on your steering wheel, are you, are you able to manage that quite easily? Yeah, but I think in this car and, and the tyre, it's, it's not so much about raw speed. You can't really drive at 100% because otherwise you'll just kill the tyre. Mm-hmm. So you, you're driving with a bit of knowledge, you know, a bit of space in your head anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly one of the things I had to adjust from GB3. Um, you know, a race in GB3, it's, you know, 20 laps flat out, like all of them quality laps, really. Whilst here, you, you can't push too early on the tyre. You've got to manage your race as, as well as you can. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think when you've got cars around you, it, it does sort of, you can easily forget to do a brake bias change or a, a throttle map change. So it, you've got to be a bit wary when you've got cars around you, for sure. So now you have a bit of a break before testing in Spain, beginning of April and mid-April. How crucial are these? Because these are the last two testings before you go to Imola and Barcelona. How crucial are these two testings? So crucial. Um, you know, again, especially for me, where I don't get much track time. So got to make the absolute most out, out of the, the few days that we're out there. And um, yeah, and again, now we know we've got a clear vision of where we are with the car and in terms of quality pace, uh, race run pace. So we know what we've got to work on. And, you know, even I've only been back a few days and there's been quite a few calls back and forth, emails, lots of stuff going on. So um, yeah, so it's certainly interesting. It's certainly interesting and it, it will pay off for sure. But yeah, it's these few days are extremely crucial. And and mentally and physically, how do you how how much do you train, um, you know, your body and your mind um, when you're not at the circuits and that sort of thing? Um, it's a bit different now, but pre-season, you know, we usually do two, uh, two, three, four weeks, you know, training every day. Um, they're probably the hardest weeks you're going to do um, training wise, because once you get race fit, you know, you can't replicate that in the gym. So you're doing sort of just um, basic stuff like running and stuff like that. N- nothing too specific. Um, and mentally, yeah, just it's for me, obviously it's different for each driver, but for me it's, you know, it's keeping relaxed and switched off when I am away from the track. So yeah, you'd find me doing a few bits at home just to keep me away from racing. And um, yeah, so that once we arrive at the track, you know, I'm fully refreshed and ready to go. Now, obviously, uh, F1 drivers have like sims and that sort of thing. Is that something that you're you're a, you're you, you kind of have access to as an F3 driver? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the team they're based in Czech Republic and they've got their own sim. So I'd I'd fly over there and spend a day there and do what I got to do and then fly back. But yeah, I wasn't a. I must say, in my GB3 sort of years, I wasn't a big fan of sim of sim stuff. I think purely because of the track time available um, in British mm. championships and, you know, you drive an F4 and an F, uh, British F3 and you're still doing the same track. So I think where you do so many laps on a real thing, you could easily then get lost driving the virtual sort of replica. But uh-huh. in this championship where you, you can't do a lot of testing in the tracks and you're learning as you go along, then it's it, for sure it's crucial that you get your sim time. Okay, well, let's let's talk about the F1 then, because obviously F, we're, we're an F1 podcast. We'd like to get your opinions on that. Um, yeah. Have you got a favourite? You, you said you're pretty impartial. 
uh, mm. and, which I remember obviously from earlier in the conversation. But have you got a, a, a favourite driver or a, a driver that you think will will do best best this year? Again, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sort of I'm not biased at all, but um, well, I'm just going to say I'll put a bet on Carlos Science to to win a championship so I guess I'll be rooting for him <laughs> I saw the Ferrari I'm like that looks quick so I'll put a cheeky bet on him so yeah if you don't win I'll be lose a bit of money which would annoy me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's certainly got a good chance with that car hasn't he yeah, that car is looking it's a beautiful looking car uh, yeah. and it, it's quick it is very quick I remember watching um, in Bahrain and the corner speeds the, the Ferrari and the Red Bull look miles ahead of any other car um, so yeah well, hopefully it's as close as it was last season but with Ferrari and, and Red Bull and obviously if Mercedes eventually get up then it could be a three-way battle so yeah it's That's exciting what we hope. yeah That's that'll, what we be hope. Good. that'll be very good <laughs> any surprises like anything that you kind of jumped out to you from watching the F1 like testing and the Bahrain like any surprises oh everyone's same surprise K-Mag yeah <laughs> Wow, That's what a job he's done. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable to, to be out. Of, how many years was he at? One year? Was it one just year? One year. Just, one year. And to just, you know, he was in Miami, probably getting drunk or something, and uh, gets a call, jumps on a plane yeah. to Bahrain and puts it P5. Like, how, how much of a legend can you be? <laughs> that is crazy. But it, it was, I was so happy for him, man. So happy for him. And happy for Hats as well. You know, they obviously had a, a pretty challenging year last year. So to see them back to, you know, more or less where they were before is, is good. Would you be trying to get into any of the young driver programmes for what, for the F1 teams? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you been approached or have you approached any of those? Um, I can't, uh, I, I can't, can't share a lot on that. But <laughs> yeah, there's... Um, yeah, there's been a few. There's a there's a few conversations and a few opportunities that hopefully they they will line up for next year. So um, fingers crossed. Okay, well we won't push you on that, uh, Emma. <laughs> Emma, do you want to ask a question? Maybe Formula One based for Ayrton? Uh, well, Formula One is obviously going to Saudi Arabia next. Is there a Formula One track that you are really wanting to race on that maybe Formula Three isn't racing on? Monaco. <laughs> I'm gutted we're not racing. Everyone loves Monaco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's just Monaco, isn't it? So, yeah, I understand. I mean, to have 30 cars around there must be an absolute nightmare. So, um, yeah, I think that and probably, I mean, I know it's not F1 related, but uh, Macau is probably another one that I would like to race in. And what do you do that's not not race related that you really enjoy? Just anything that, that, you, that you really enjoy uh, away from the track? Um... Um, I enjoy there's a few things I enjoy playing football mm-hmm. um, it's been as a kid as another thing that I've always loved doing and watching so yeah probably football um, I love my games as well um, I love my Playstation so yeah <laughs> a bit of FIFA a bit of COD um, um, what else and just living life really to be honest you know especially when racing starts you don't get to do things that normal people can you know you can't go out partying as much you can't go out mm-hmm. meals and eating what you like and stuff so when I do get the chance I'd certainly make the most out of it because you know yeah we only get a few months in the winter that we're really allowed to do that so okay well we will be watching your season as, as it progresses we'll watch your career with interest especially now we've had a chance to, to chat to you uh, personally so good luck for the rest of the season 
No, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, the pleasure's all ours. We're, we're absolutely thrilled to have you on, on our podcast, and hopefully maybe in the future we'll have you again, maybe as an F2 driver and an F1 driver. Um, but good luck, uh, and, and thank you very much for coming to speak to us. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you have a good day. Cheers. Awesome. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, well, we hope you enjoyed that interview today. Thank you very much for joining us on the Everything F1 podcast. I've been James Tiller. Alongside me today was Coops. Thank you, Coops. Thank you. Cheers. We also had Sponge. Thank you, Sponge. Pleasure as always. Cheers, folks. Absolutely. Uh, as always, you can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. You name it, we're on it. Uh, at the handle, at joinef one And of course, we'd love you to hit that subscribe button on your favourite podcast streaming service so you get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes when they drop. We will speak to you next week where we're going to preview the Australian Grand Prix. But until then, we will speak to you and see you on all of our socials. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.